Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. And guys, you know, when I have somebody on, they're either game changers or thought leaders. And the gentleman I have on is both, and he's changing the game about being a man, being a father. We're going to hop on that subject, which I really love. But first of all, I'd like to thank our sponsor for today. His name is Jason Lane Curtis. He, When I was in the military, I got hooked on energy drinks. But as I got older, I'm only allowed to have one a day. And I choose to have a, a product called Physics Zero. It tastes like, if you're old like me, if you remember what Fresca tastes like, that's what it tastes like. No sugar, no crash. So definitely check out uh, Jason Lane Curtis of Bonvera, Physics Zero. Guys, if you're a father, if, if you're a man, and you're trying to be a better man and a better father, you guys definitely need to listen to this talk that we're going to be having. Get a pen, get a paper out, because I'm hoping I'm going to learn a whole bunch of stuff that I can take home and actually help be with being a better father and a better husband. Mr. Josh Hatzer. Welcome to the show, brother. What's up? Hey, Richard. I'm glad to be here. It's awesome. Awesome. So cool to see the stuff that you're doing with your podcast. It's uh, really interesting and engaging stuff. And it's cool to see how you're helping and serving people, man. Yeah, it's weird. You know, it's like, this is like my fourth interview today. And it's like all over the place. Like today, you know, I did uh, one, I talked to a psychologist. And then the other one, I was talking to somebody that does yoga. And then another one, a war hero. And now I get to talk about being a father and a husband. So it's all over the place, but it all fits together some weird way. That's awesome. So how's your day going? Hey, it's been great. I uh, It's a little better after I went to the chiropractor today. but <laughs> You got all straightened up? Yeah, well, it's the first of a few visits, I think. But it, you know how that goes. So, Okay. So what state are you in now? Uh, I live in Pennsylvania. Um, oh, actually, I was, you're not you're not that far, so we'll have to get together and do lunch sometime. That would be awesome. I was born and raised here. Uh, if you look at the map of Pennsylvania, I'm in like the green spot where there's nothing. Um, <laughs> what town? It's called Bradford, PA, home of Zippo lighters and case knives, actually, and and nothing else. Can you hear me? Yeah. If your phone goes to lock, oh. yeah, if, if your phone goes to goes to lock it'll cut you off or you're on computer uh yeah i'm on my phone so i'll i'll uh, keep it keep it from locking sorry i'll watch that i just want to let you know because I, I don't want to miss anything that you're talking about so now uh tell us a little bit about you know what kind of kid josh was because i i find that how we grow up in a relationship we have as children is how we start acting as adult and what we learn from so how was your childhood and what kind of kid were you you know it's crazy that you bring that up because it's actually a really important part of my story that uh, I think a lot of people don't know about me. And they wouldn't necessarily guess either because uh, of the way that I, maybe the way I carry myself. In fact, even people that I grew up with that watched it happen, didn't understand it. But, uh, you know, I, I had great parents. I, I had a great family, but I was bullied horribly in school from, from the time that I was in kindergarten. I had kids who, uh, there were some teenagers who would burn my neck with matches on the bus stop. And uh, when I got old enough to kind of 
old enough and strong enough to kind of defend myself, I fought almost every day uh, to defend myself. Back when you could fight to defend yourself, you know, now it's like you get bullied and you stand up for yourself and then you get in trouble. But back then, you know, <laughs> uh, things were a little different. And so, you know, I met a lot of boys at the flagpole and set them straight. And, uh, you know, I, it, that was that was my life, man. I really didn't have any friends until about the middle of eighth grade. And uh, now looking back, I see that there were people who could have been my friends or who even thought they were my friends. But, you know, when you're young and you kind of fall into this, uh, this victim mindset, you know, which I mean, I was a legitimate victim, but then I fell into that victimhood, not fully understanding it. So then everybody hated me, whether they did or not, you know, what made, you know, because I was picked on and I never told the story to somebody. You, you just brought it out. I mean, I, I haven't thought about it in like 40 years, but I was picked on like every day. And then one day I was, got picked on by a couple of kids and they had a bike and I flipped out. I picked up the bike and beat them with it. (laughs) And I never, and I never got picked on again, but that just totally brought me back. I was like, wow. So what was it that made you, that made people pick on you? Were, were you quiet? Was it, what, what was there certain that you were a little bit different than everybody else? So, well, you know, I'm still different than everybody else. You know, I, I have always just kind of, I, I, I had, there were so many things like I, I was, uh, I have ADHD, which I didn't understand or know anything about that. I didn't even, didn't even believe in it, honestly, until finally as an adult, my daughter started having problems and I'm like, you know, they started talking about the, the ADHD thing. And I'm like, maybe that's me because everything they're talking about sounds like me my entire life. And so I actually, you know, I, I get treatment for that now, but I didn't understand it. So I was a little bit hyper and I'm, I was actually in the, the, um, as I got older, I was in the gifted program, but, uh, I remember sitting down with a, a shrink and he like, they do all these tests on you to see if you're actually smart enough for this gifted program, you know? And, um, he pulled me and my parents aside and was going over the results. And he said, you need to understand this about your son is yes, he's gifted, but he's also severely learning disabled. And what he's done is he's found a workaround (laughs) for everything that would normally hold him back. He's just found a way around it. You know, if everybody else writes their T's top to bottom and then left to right, and I write mine completely backwards. And then the next time that I do it, I do it a different way. You know, it just, that's the way my, my brain works differently. And so I was always inquisitive and always asking questions and I could retain information. I would answer questions and I didn't get the social norms of conversation. And I tried so hard to fit in. And Okay. Can I ask you a question now? Just like I said, I don't know where our conversation is going to go, but it's okay. That's all right. It's like, like two brothers having a cup of coffee together. That's all good, man. Um, you know, uh, my son is now he's in college. He's at the Coastal Carolina University. Go chance. Um, but he is um, high functioning autism. Hmm. Have you ever been on this? Thought about if you were ever on the spectrum? You know, it's funny. I actually had that conversation with somebody today. <laughs> I was remembering a detail about something. and It was a very specific detail. And he's like, I have no recollection of that. And um you know, I'll have, I, I, it's funny cause I'll have very specific details that I can remember about things that happened 20 years ago, but I can't remember where I left my shoes last night. 
Um, but I actually don't think that it's that it's autism just because uh, there are specific markers and traits usually that go along with that. And I think whatever it is that's with me seems to be a little different. Okay. Um, but um, I think I think ADHD and then there's some spatial reasoning that's a little different with me. And then um, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily fit in boxes too well. So and that was really, you know, a lot of I think what happened as I was growing up, you know, I didn't fit in the box. And so if you didn't fit in the box, they would just you know, do whatever they could to keep you out of the box. <laughs> you know, you know? I did a stupid video a, a couple of years ago. What I forget. It was on this, an app called Masquerade mm-hmm. and it was a box. And I said, you know, so what, if you don't fit in the box, maybe you are the box. Mm. You know what I mean? So who cares what everybody, and when you get older, you get to a point where you're like, I don't care what anybody else really thinks. And it's always, it seems as you get the more successful people, the, that I know the quirkier they are and you know like I've always when I was a kid you know I, I got diagnosed with severe ADHD but now I considered it as a gift mm-hmm. because now I can talk to a thousand people I can do all these different things at one time where my focus my son is like he's just focused on one thing and can't do everything that ADHD people can do so do you find it that it's a positive in your life now instead of a negative Yes, I definitely do. I, I, there are times when it's negative. Um, but I actually, when I finally realized what it was, I avoided taking a medication for a long time because I, I was afraid that it would take away my creativity and things like that. And I had a friend who, who, who took it and, you know, he's, he started taking, I don't remember which one he took. And I wish I would have had more conversations with him because at first I saw a really awesome change in him. But what I didn't see was that he was like, you know, having like, like uh, homicidal thoughts and things like that. And I'm like, Oh, if I would have known that I would have asked some more questions before I got. <laughs> um, but I ended up, I didn't have any of those side effects uh, with the medicine that I took. And okay. uh, so, you know, I mean, eventually, you know, growing up in a small town in a small school too, like all of those kids that hated me and bullied me and picked on me, you know, eventually you stand up for yourself and everybody kind of grows up. And so when we graduated, we were all friends, you know, I had I actually worked a job later on, um, like in a a customer service job. And one of the the kids that had bullied me the worst was actually one of my best friends at this job. I loved loved him dearly, and uh, he actually uh, died of a, a drug overdose a few years ago. But um, just you know, we we were really close when we worked together, and just seeing that difference in in our relationship from the time where you know eighth grade i just hoped he would die <laughs> and then when he actually did die it broke my heart you know so so when you funny. graduated you went to liberty university which is an amazing 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 school how did you fit in going to liberty oh yeah yeah by that point it, uh liberty is uh and it's funny i always say liberty uh is has the best and the worst that christianity has to offer um and so I went there in the nineties when there was a lot more rules. And, uh, so like I didn't fit in very well with the rules. <laughs> there was a dress code. You had to wear a tie to class. Um, you had to be in your room by midnight every night. Um, you know, and so if there, you had to have, like, if you, 
if you if your room wasn't clean that it was it was a little bit crazy and honestly i had friends who went to schools with even stricter rules you know but i was always um always kind of skirting right on the edge of what you were allowed to do <laughs> when i was in school and and i i get it i mean they were there for a reason i think that they were uh a little bit overzealous i think they were the rules were rooted in a good heart but then you'd have people who would make the rules uh, they would over spiritualize the rules, you know. Oh, then, see, I love it because, like, I go to on Liberty University at least once a week because I love some of the commencements and some of the speakers that they have come in. Yeah, you know, Shawn Michaels and stuff like that. I, you know, Sting, stuff like that have come in and talked to Tebow. But now, so you graduate, you know, because I was talking to my son, my youngest is sixteen, and he wants to be an athletic trainer, and I said, you know what, do it whatever you love, you know, whatever you love, do it in a hundred percent. And I said, because, you know, the average kid that graduates college within three years is going to be a totally different field than they went to school for. So what was your experience like and what kind of jobs did you get when you got out of college? How did you use your college degree? So that's another interesting question. I actually dropped out of college. Um, I, when I was 14, I started working at a radio station and, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do was communications. And and I loved writing and I loved creating and I loved broadcasting and I loved all that stuff. And so I worked, by the time I got to college, I had already done all of the stuff they were trying to teach me. (laughs) And, um, and so honestly, I was, I was bored to tears, Um, you know, and, and I paying a lot of money for stuff that I could learn on my own. You know, uh, you know, I took a graphic design class and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm already doing this stuff for my band. Like I'm designing flyers and like, I already know how to do these things. And so I was spending a lot of money going into a lot of debt to learn and do things they didn't know very well. Then I got a job at the school and my job was basically teaching the professors how to use computers to do the stuff. You know, that's when I knew things weren't quite right for me. When when the kid who is supposed to be going to a class with the professor the next semester and I'm teaching the professor how to do it so that he can teach the class. Yeah, that's not working. (laughs) So I actually I met my wife um, there and and we decided to get married. And I think our thought was to continue attending school when we were married, even though we were racking up debt. But uh Shortly after we got married, she got pregnant. We got married on the 4th of July, 98. And on the 4th of July, 99, we had twins. And uh, <laughs> so we moved back home to take care of some babies. So, uh, okay. So now <clears throat> I'm going to, you know, cause it, um, it's always like for me, my father left when I was three months old mm. and, you know, now we have me, my, my bride, I call her my bride. She's never my wife. She's my bride. Um, we have three beautiful children together and I didn't know how to be a father. So it's kind of like I had to learn on the fly and doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying. So what kind of relationship did you have with your father? So I actually had a great relationship with my dad. Um, he was an amazing man. Um, just, (laughs) he was actually, he worked in a factory worked a lot of overtime and then he was actually on the side he had a side hustle he was a a birthday clown believe it or not and um 
he was amazing. Just like he'd go to birthday parties and make balloon animals. And he would, he taught, I did it with him when I was little. And then again, when I was an adult, I needed money. So I'm like, well, I know this skill. So we would go do that together. And, um, but he, uh, he just was very patient, very kind, very loving. And, uh, at the same time, if he made mistakes, he would own up to them and, you know, taught me everything I needed to learn. So I had that privilege and, and he would always remind me, you know, Josh, not everybody has a good dad like, like you have, you know, and not everybody has a dad that cares. You know, I know I'm not perfect, but you've got this and you need to make sure that you are on the lookout for the fact that not everybody has this in their life. And that was always, you know, kind of in the forefront of my mind. And yeah, uh, I love that. Um, somebody's cutting onions here because my eyes are tearing for some reason. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I lost, I actually lost my dad two years ago. He, he passed away after a battle of cancer and still, still grieving that process. It, it kicks my butt. Um, I get it. You know? Um, so, you know, like when my daughter was born, born, she's nine now, but when we were in the hospital, you know, because I didn't have a dad, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my wife wanted to change her for the first time. And I'm like, no, I got this, you know, you know, I wanted to be the first besides my wife to hold her. You know, I'm like, I got this, you know, I, I wanted to be there for every little moment. I was there for, you know, every doctor's appointment. I rubbed her belly, talked to her every night. And so I, you know, I, and I still fall so short of being, as we call it, the perfect father, you know, and, and I'll, and I'll never get there because, you know, nobody's like as perfect as God, but I try to be be the best I can. So let's talk about how you got into this whole because thing about manlyhood and being a man and a father, because that's what's missing in this country. You know, I mean, when you looked at the incarceration rates, the drug rates, um, suicide rates, eighty percent of them are, are come from a family with no father. So there's got to be some kind of correlation. So maybe we can start changing the game as we're speaking tonight. So how did you start focusing in on realizing there's a problem out there and you, you're the person that might be able to help? Yeah. So, you know, I, um, there were times in my own life, honestly, like even having a good example, even having lots of good examples and men that have poured into my life, mentors and, teachers and and friends that have just looked out for me and my father too of course and still making stupid decisions and I kind of had a point where I had just kind of made a mess of a lot of things and and I mean it wasn't like you know like I'm doing drugs or you know I honestly never had more than a sip of alcohol my whole life too either like it's not like that but still like not really kind of I had neglected my family I hadn't really taken care of them or provided for them I had made a mess of my finances and my business and my health. And, um, you know, my, I was addicted to porn and, and even, and then when I got done with porn and I put that away, I just traded that addiction for food and I, I was a mess. And, um, I, I needed to make some changes for myself. I needed to pursue, I am not being a man. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a male. I'm an adult male but am I living like a man? <laughs> and I, I just, I, I had to make changes for myself to live up to 
what I needed to be. You know, I had to say, I, I really believe that manhood and masculinity isn't just about being an adult male. I think that's a part of it, but I think it's also being, there's a virtue that goes along with it. I think that there is many virtues that go along with it. And I, I had to kind of reclaim that and step into that again. And as I started working through that process, I, I started thinking about all the things that had been taught to me by many great men in my entire life. And I said, there are a lot of men who did not have this investment in their life. You know, I had something to fall back on to remind me of what I needed to know. And I know so many men and I was watching it happen all around me. I mean, I, I, like I said, I had friends that were dying of drug overdoses. I had friends that were committing suicide. I had all this happening all around me. Young people that I had previously mentored when I was in a, you know, a position where I was a youth leader and, and they're dying of drug overdoses or going to jail for child porn or all these horrible things. And I'm like, I thought I was mentoring them. And so I just, I just realized that what we had was people who needed to hear the things that had been entrusted to me, if that makes any sense at all. And I said, this has been given to me. I need to apply it in my own life and then I need to give it to others. And so I said, I'm not going to wait to figure it all out. I'm going to start applying it and I'm going to start sharing it as I'm working through it. You know, yeah. so I guess that's where it all started. You know, and I love that, you know, and even like, you know, I was talking to somebody today and we were talking about Jesus, um, you know, and even in the Bible, you know, Jesus, they said Jesus is meek. But and I tell people, you know, there's a difference between being meek and being weak. You know, meekness is the definition is power under control. Now, Jesus was holding lambs, but he was also flipping stone tables in the temple. So he wasn't a wimp. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes, you know, like like you're saying, when you get older or you want to try to be a better father, a better husband, you become you try to become more gentle, more loving, more caring. But you're also there's times when you might have to step up and show who the lion is, not with your family, but with, to protect them. So and it's not that false bravado, you know. Like you think when you say, oh, you know, I want to be a better man. You know, a lot of people think, oh, macho, hua, hua. And, you know, like you have to pretend to be something you're not. You know, like I'd rather like I used to fight MMA, but you'll never see me wearing any, you know, gear or, you know, any T-shirt, tap out shirts like that. Because, you know, I found that, you know, if a person has a Ferrari, they could do 55. They don't have to do 200 miles an hour. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Right. And and when you become, I think like you're saying, when you become more loving, more caring, that is true manhood. It's not that fake bravado that a lot of put at, people talk about manhood. You know what I mean? I, I talk a lot about this concept of the, the difference between nice versus kind. You know, a lot of times people will use the word nice to describe me. And I get I get mad. I mean, I get downright you know, ticked off about it because I mean, I don't necessarily to them because I am kind of nice, but <laughs> you know, like, I, like there's a big difference, you know, a nice man is passive and he, he just sits back and lets things happen. But a kind man could rip your face off, but chooses not to, you know, and that's, that's the difference is, you know, kindness is a choice that is exercised. And it's, it's that idea again of strength under control. And, you know, um, 
I think that that's something that, that is lacking. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I'll go to, to the store and I'll be walking out in the parking lot and I'll see this man. Excuse me. Let me rephrase. I'll see this male, an adult male, because there is a difference. Uh, I'll see an adult male berating his wife, just sitting there talking her down and, and yelling at her and cussing her out and starting to get physical or, or, or treating his child very poorly to the point where the child is afraid or the woman is afraid. I'll just walk up like, you know, 10 feet away and just stand there with my arms folded and look at him until he makes eye contact with me. And, you know, and I've done it, I have done it probably a hundred times and never once have I ever had to touch the man. I don't think I've ever even had to say anything except for maybe a couple times I've ever even spoken about it. Just doing it, just being there, letting him know, hey, here's a six foot tall, you know, <laughs> 300 some pound dude staring you down. And I think I might want to be watch my behavior now. And, uh, you know it's not just my family that needs to be protected. There are others. And I think that honestly, that's half of the problem we have is, you know, I watched the video today. I know that, you know, this podcast will air a little bit later, but there was an Asian woman walking down the street and a man walks up to her and just like cusses her out and beats her up and stomps her into the concrete. And there's, it's a security video in a lobby and the security guards inside security guards, armed guards, just stood there watching out the window as it happened. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I can understand maybe being frozen in shock for a moment. But by the time that second fist flew, they should have been running out the door. You know? Yeah. And I, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand that passivity and that willingness for us to just sit back and watch while horrible things happen around us. Like, if... If a, a man rapes a child, excuse me, let me rephrase. If an adult male rapes a child, that adult male should be afraid of the men in his life. You know? Yep, I get it. So now you're an author. Tell us about some of the st stuff that you've written. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I've written several books. The first book I wrote was I co-authored a book, uh, actually a, like a publishing house had approached me to help co-author this book, which was kind of fun. And then uh, after that, I've the, the books I've written were self-published just because it's really hard to break into <laughs> break through to, to publishers these days because there's so many people writing. Um, so I self-publish and I, I love it and I enjoy it. So I've written several books of poetry and, uh, you know, and, and people forget that, you know, people think poetry, oh, that's girly. No, poetry was manly up until recently when someone decided that feelings weren't manly, you know, I mean, dealing with your emotions and, and, and your thoughts and putting those into creative words. Yeah. That is actually a great way to express things. And uh, so I, I'm kind of, kind of proud of that. And, um, and then I've also written some several books, uh, you know, manlyhood, the 12 pillars of masculinity and core ops and, um, the blue book and a few other books that are, I, I like to say that they're personal development or self-help books for men. And um, there's several of those. You can get them on Amazon and, or at my, at my website, if you go to the store at my website as well. And, you know, there, uh, I think there's some, some good and helpful facts and, and useful information in them, or, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I enjoy writing and 
and getting it out there. It's funny because I wrote several of the books in one year. I just kind of set this massive goal for myself. And I'm like, that's it. Here's all the books I want to write. I've started these. I've outlined them. I'm going to finish them. And I just busted through. And It's funny because I wrote one book. It was my life story. And I think I blew my load. And I think that's about it. <laughs> I think that's a wrap. But now, because now I have this podcast and I've interviewed over like 250 different people. Now I have so many stories to tell. I might write another book. So tell, tell us about your recent, your most recent book. Yeah, the most recent one is called Reignite. And that book is, um, it's, it talks about, and I kind of talked about it earlier, that place that I had gotten to where I realized that I had made a mess of my life. And I needed to make some major changes to get it back where it needed to be. And I wanted to speak to that and talk about what that's like for people about that concept of, you know, in my mind, I, I, I could just picture the idea of a, a great big wet pile of wood and you're trying to, to light it on fire. You know, you're trying to start a fire with wet wood and it's so hard to get it going. And, um, and that was really what my life was like. And so I kind of wrote through what I learned as I went through the process and uh, that that's kind of where the book's at. I think there's some really useful and helpful information in it. Um, and there's also uh, like a shorter little book that kind of goes with it called reignite marriage secrets, where I kind of talk about the things that I've learned about marriage and, you know, and every time, you know, it's funny, I wrote the book and put it out there and then I realized eh, I really have, you know, it, I think I know a good bit about being a husband, but I'll tell you what, Never, ever, ever believe a man who tells you he knows anything about women because we that you don't. We do not. We will never know because you're a, they are a liar. <laughs> so, you but know, one thing I will say, like I got interviewed today on the podcast. As I was like today, I've had like so many interviews and I was interviewed. I wasn't expecting to be interviewed, but they interviewed me and um, I was telling them, you know, that something that I had lunch with Pastor T.D. Jakes. Um, many years back and you know I said pastor you know give me something that I can take with me give me a nugget and he said son he says if you don't date your wife another man will and I was like that's something that I've always kept in my mind to you know to date your wife you know treat her honor her and love her like you did when you were first were dating and I think a lot of people men and women you know find out oh well why is my why is my husband or wife stepping out on me? Because you, you don't treat her like she's your girlfriend anymore. You know what I mean? You kind of get comfortable. What are your thoughts on that? You know, having that kind of dating relationship, even though you're married. Uh, dude, 100%. We actually, a couple of years ago, I realized that we had just gotten out of that habit. Um, when, especially when the kids were younger and we were broke financially, you know, we weren't going out. We weren't, we, we kind of had put it on the back burner. And I just said, you know what? The kids are older. We don't need babysitters anymore. Uh, most, a couple of the kids were actually had already moved out of the house, and uh, you know now we've only got one out of the four left. <laughs> but um, we just said we're going to go on a date every week, and we've been faithful. The first two, the first, I'm going to say maybe three or four date nights were horrible because we had not been in the habit of spending time alone together, and so we'd get alone. We had all this business to sort out and things to talk about. And we didn't like each other. <laughs> and so we're on this date where we're supposed to be rekindling our romance and we're fighting. And, you know, and, and honestly, we're, we're like, okay, we, we learned that, that yes, don't give up. 
Like when you say, yes, you do need to, you do need to make date night a thing. You know, I understand when the kids are little, it's a lot harder and you might have to do maybe once a month rather than every week, but do it, take the time to do it, go out once a month or on payday if you can and, and get that time, but don't expect it to always be easy or beautiful because there's going to be times it's hard. There's going to be times it's hard and you've got stuff to fight through and you've got stuff to work through and you might not necessarily enjoy each other all the time. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, you know, and like I said, you know, there's, there's different kinds of love that they talk about in the Bible, you know, but they also say, you know, even I forget what scripture it was, you know, that, that love, you know, is a commitment. It's not an emotion. And sometimes, you know, my wife probably wants to kill me. And vice versa, but you know we're still a team, and that's okay, you know, and and we're we're good with that. But you can work as a team. Now I have a question to ask. Sure. Because a lot of people that are listening to this are probably veterans, you know, um, military veterans. They've you know been all over the world. You know, you're you're deployed for 16, 18 months. You come home. You know, a lot of times there's little children in the house. Um, for me, it was, it was after the military, I had to take a nighttime job where I would work from two o'clock to nine o'clock and I would only see my daughter, uh, one hour in the morning. So she really didn't know me. You know, she, everything was mommy, mommy, mommy. Mm. So how can you reignite a relationship with your children after being gone for that long? Or, you know, even like me, nine years, how can a person like myself, reignite their relationship with my children so i would say this to to the dads that are maybe not home yet i would say whatever you've got to do right now do it so if you need to write letters and make the phone calls while you're away that's going to help you um but when you get home and you know and again you might only get an hour a day you take that hour a day and you be faithful with it and you guard it you guard it with your life. Um, you know, you make it everything. Cause I know a lot of dads too, where, you know, the mom takes them away and files a PFA for no reason, you know, and they can't see their kids, you know, and I'm like, you know, and throws away every, you know, every letter that they send them. So you write letters and you put them in a box and someday you give them to them. You know what I mean? When they're old enough to make the choice for themselves. So they know how you felt, even if they don't get it now. But, but I will say this, I think that, you know, when you're in the situation that you describe, like the time that you get, you guard it and you be on top of it. And, you know, I, I, I say it and I talk about it as though I know uh, from personal experience, but, uh, you know, we deliberately raised our family differently than a lot of people do. And so for most of our kids' lives, I worked from home and we homeschooled them. And so we were together a lot. And so that made a big difference for us. Not everybody gets to be in that situation, especially not veterans, you know, when they've got to leave, you know. And so I, I commend the sacrifices that you've made for our country. So, you know, you've, you, that's the right choice. It's the right thing that you've done. So now how do you rekindle it? You give them everything you can and you do everything you can to, to make it happen. It's going to take time. You be patient. And, you know, I, I would say if, it's it's about being intentional and about being deliberate the other thing and this is going to matter a lot that i think a lot especially people in that specific situation don't always think about you know vets a lot of times will come home and they've got ptsd they've got 
struggles, they've got issues, and they will fall into uh, substance abuse or alcohol abuse or whatever to treat their pain, you know? And what they don't realize is that what they're really just doing is they're giving that pain to their kids. And they're not present. They think that they're making themselves more tolerable, you know, because they can be a little nicer or a little kinder when they've had a buzz on. But in the end, that kid is suffering because that kid's not really getting dad. So if you're coming home and you're broken, it's okay to admit that you're broken. That's okay. You're broke. We get it. So go get some help. Go get the counseling you need. Go if you need to. If you've got substance abuse issues, if you have to spend a little bit more time away at rehab to get it right, you do what you got to do. And then be right for your kids. Because the best thing that you can do for your kids and your wife and your family is to be a good man. To be a man that is a man of integrity, a man of honor, a man that does the right thing. A man who is living up to his values, that's, li- that's fulfilling his purpose. And, and you can't do that if you've got those hurdles. And so if those are things that are holding you back, get the help you need. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It doesn't mean that you're evil. It doesn't mean that you're – we're all broken to different degrees. You know what I mean? Everybody is. Well, you know, and, and I was talking to somebody about that, you know, and I tell everybody it sounds crazy. It sounds stupid. It sounds cliche, but it's true. You know, broken crayons still draw beautiful pictures. Exactly. You know what I mean? And and I know I've been broken, especially um, I just came up on 32 years clean and sober from drug addiction. Mm. But um, way to go. Huh? Way to go. Thanks. But, you know, but what I realized now, you know, I'm not a professional at all, but, you know, now I've talking to all these different people. I feel like I've, I've learned so much, like I, I'm getting an MBA in, in psychology um, that, you know, when an adult acts out, it's normally because of stuff that happened between his ages of three and 13. And then, you know, cause most of the people I talk to are either military or first responders, you know, you, then you add military to the mix and then you add alcohol to the mix and it becomes a perfect storm. And there's no book out there that says how to get out of the perfect storm. Mm-mm. And sometimes the best person that can help you out of that perfect storm is somebody that's been in that perfect storm. You know what I mean? Right. And there My are a lot of people who want to help. Yeah. And you're not alone. You know, that's, that's what I tell everybody. You know, you're not alone. There's people that are, there's help everywhere. You just have to be willing. You know, they say the heaviest thing in recovery is called a telephone. Sometimes it's the heaviest thing to pick up, you know, because a lot of people put pride in, you know, go, I'm, 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 I'm good. You know, sometimes you'll hear the army guys say, bro, I'm good. You know, I got this. And when somebody usually tells me I got this, they ain't got this. You know what I mean? So sometimes, like you said, you know, we're you're not alone. Now, what would be a general? Now I'm saying in general because everybody has their own opinions and we all know what opinions are like. Um, but what <laughs> is, uh, what, in your opinion, is manlyhood? What in your opinion? Being a real man, being an up, like they say in Jersey up north, you know, being an upstanding man. What kind, what does that mean to you? I really believe that what it means is it means that you're a man who lives according to your purpose, that, that lives according to your values, 
and takes care of the people in his charge in his circle uh and and in doing that you know he's providing for them he's 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 protecting them he's um you know he's leading and we know that leadership is service is what it is so that that's really what a man does and what he is you know i I think that there's a lot to it and you know i mean that i kind of lay out 12 pillars when i kind of when i when i spell it all out but but I mean, I think if we summed it all up, I think that's really what it is. It's a, it's a man who is, who is committed to look out for the people around him and to take care of them and to make sure to do the right thing. And, and in doing that, that's where he, his strength really shines, you know? Okay. Now, can I ask you a question? Because, sure. um, you know, I want you to, I want, cause I want everybody to come pick up your books, but can you give us a quick rundown on what those 12 pillars of manhood are? Well, a quick rundown <laughs> might take me just a second here, but uh, let me see here. I'll tell you what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to see if I can grab a copy of it and then I can. Uh... Like I said, I, and, I, and what I'm going to do <laughs> after we talk, uh, when it does go live, I'm going to get all your links and everything and I'm going to push everything out and put it into the, the, into the, um, into the chat so people can actually pick up your books because that's what I want them to do. But some people, you know, there's people like me that that's blind that can't read. So I figured maybe this would help them if you, they'd be able to hear it from your lips. You there? So, guys, definitely I'm going to be dropping all his links to all his books. I'm going to be getting a couple copies um, to support this gentleman because this is something that needs to be talked about, needs to be heard, and needs to be said that half the problems in this country. Yeah, yeah. brother? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, and and the the others are mentorship integrity and the last one is soundness well we you lost know? you on that because i guess the phone got um locked so can oh. you go through that again sure where did where did you lose me uh at the first one. <laughs> oh, i'm sorry yeah. oh no it's no biggie <laughs> all right here's 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 the 12 pillars uh personal responsibility uh and taking that personal responsibility for yourself and and making sure that you do the right thing the second is is hard work the third is leadership. The fourth is commitment. The fifth is relationships and the relationships that you have with others. Six is learning and education. Seven is maturity. Eight is walking in victory. Nine is respect. Ten is mentorship. 11 is integrity and 12 is soundness. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. So how, because this is my last two questions anyway, but this leads right into it. How do we find you? How do we find your books? How can we support your mission? Yeah. So um, if you go to manlyhood.com, 
you can find all the links to all my social media. Um, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel or, or follow the podcast. The uh, podcast kind of goes out on in video form on, on YouTube or it goes in audio form on, you know, in all the podcast channels. Um, and there are also links to my books, which you can get in the store there at Manlyhood. Uh, or if you go to Amazon and you type in Josh Hatcher, it'll come up. There is another Josh Hatcher that I think has a book of poetry that's not me. But um, I think he only has one book. So if you find a Josh Hatcher that just has one book, that's not me. I've got like a bunch. So, <laughs> so okay, last question. Um, now, we live in a crazy world right now with COVID. Um, we have grandparents homeschooling kids. So and parents trying to make ends meet, just trying to pay the bills. So if I ask somebody, to do, the average person to do seven days uh they're pretty much not going to get to it honestly but if i ask somebody to take an action step in the next 24 hours they're more likely to do it so somebody struggling with their manhood today whether it being husband being a father or just trying to figure out what it's like to be a humble humble alpha um what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start the right the ship Honestly, I believe that manhood is actually like COVID and you catch it from others. So the first thing that you should do is you should look to some men that you know that are in your life that you admire and try to get an opportunity to spend some time with them. Because you rub shoulders with them, you'll get it. So find the men that you admire that espouse the values that you know that you agree with, that you believe in. And spend some time with them. And and that is honestly the best and first place to start. I think the rest of those things will flow out of that. I love that. So, guys, definitely check out everything he's doing. I'm going to be dropping all his stuff in the, in the chat when everything gets ready. Guys, I'd like to thank, like I said, Jason Lane Curtis of Bonvera for keeping me energized, doing all these interviews. Check out his energy drink, Physics Zero. Guys, if this affected you at all please leave a comment on on uh, all the platforms including apple and uh just so that people know that you know we're we're doing our, our best to change the world and we don't get paid any money for doing any of this we're just doing it to be able to help people so the only the way you could pay us back is please just drop a review it's free 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 josh brother it was a great time hanging out with you um i hope one day i get to hang out on your podcast and I'm just grateful that we've got to talk. And uh, now that we've talked, I consider you a friend and a family member. And if there's anything I could do to support you, I will. And I can't wait to be able to get together when this whole thing blows over, have some lunch and just hang out. Yeah, I think it sounds like an awesome plan, my friend. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on, too. And, yeah, we will get you on the podcast as well. We'll do an interview. It sounds like you've got some really cool stories to tell so i look forward to hearing some of them so and josh if i didn't say it before i'd be remiss um most of all thank you for being a brother in christ and i see that god is bringing men into my life christian men in my life and i just want to say thank you for being a brother in christ same with you man thank you for representing boldly i appreciate it i brother well god bless you and have an amazing week you too my friend thanks thank you for joining us today please hit subscribe and share Please feel free to leave us a comment.